Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's interview and introduce our guests, I just want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the privilege of serving. We are an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. So just thankful for their support of our mission here at Pastor's Call Podcast, where we are encouraging those interested or already in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories, journeys, and experiences of those who have gone before. Today, I'm delighted to have uh, on the show with me uh, someone who is the uh, pastor, fairly new pastor at Mount Pleasant Bible Church, which is located just outside Goodles, Michigan. Uh, Pastor Chris Stewart. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. Well, Chris, I'd love to just jump right into it. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. We were just mentioning a couple of little things about it uh, before we uh, started recording. So we'd love to hear about your background, uh, what brought you here, and uh, talk about your call that you felt from the Lord to be a minister. Yeah, thank you. Well, as with all calling and preparation stories, it's usually long, so we'll keep it truncated. But uh, growing up, um, my parents had taken me to a very hyper-Pentecostal church, and then they, in turn, had been burnt by the church, and to the point of where now my mom says that she doesn't believe in God, and my dad says he's agnostic. And so after they left the church, my grandparents took upon themselves then to take me to church. And then I went from a very hyper-Pentecostal church to an independent fundamentalist Baptist church where I stayed until um, I was in my late teens. And in that process, you know, it went to a winter camp. Um, it would have been winter of 1995. And which, uh, as I describe it, God took me behind the woodshed and smacked me around. <laughs> I knew the Bible. I'd grown up in church. I'd memorized all the verses, um, but it wasn't personal. It didn't mean anything to me other than going to church, having donuts, and going to youth group. Mm -hmm. So in seeing God's creation around me and God smacking me around going, Chris, you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Tonight is the night. And so it wasn't anything that the speaker said. It was just me being out in God's creation and God calling me and bringing me to salvation. And it's, um, I'm not a very emotional person, but when I hear two things get me choked up, baptisms and people's testimonies. Now, not bragamonies, not bragging about their sin, yeah. but their actual testimonies. So while attending the church with my grandparents, uh, really a combination of five things happened. And when I talk to younger ministers, when they talk about, well, am, am I called into ministry and that kind of thing? What was told to me is that hopefully prayerfully three to five things will happen that'll help confirm a calling into ministry. Number one is prayer, that you're praying about it. God, is this what you're having for me? That you get answers that way. Number two is obviously scripture. Number three, confirmation from, from other people. Hey, Chris, you know, I really think that you you have a calling into ministry. Uh, number four is opportunity, whether it's your local congregation or there's an opportunity in the community to serve, and then need. Um, fortunately for me, four of those things were lined up when I was 18 years old. And if I was in the restaurant management business by the time I was 18, and I thought I was going to have a career in restaurant management. If you would have told me 22, year, 22 years ago that 
I was going to be a pastor, I would have said, you are out of your mind. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm staying in restaurants. I know what I'm doing. But we make plans. God laughs. <laughs> and so in that process, uh, started pastoring and, and at the same time was dating my now wife. And she said, well, if you're, if you're really going to go into ministry, you need to have preparation. And so started attending junior college, getting general education units out. And then in my theological journey, paralleled my school journey, because as I went from being, uh, as a pastor friend of mine would have said, a Baptocostal for a little while, uh, went to Hope International University, ended up at Liberty University, and finished up both my uh, bachelor's and ma master's in divinity and a THM at Heritage Baptist College um, out of Salt Lake City. Also, thankfully, had two internships, and we'll talk a little bit about those later, uh, which were also influential. But uh, my calling to ministry was 18 years in, in the making, mm. and still to this day is one of those questions of, and it's my big question when I get to heaven, God, why do you use imperfect flawed individuals to do your work when you could just send angels that will do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. As kind of what you're saying earlier, yeah. big question. Why? Yeah. 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 Why? The why question, uh, maybe it's so that he can uh, show his glory through, mm -hmm. uh, through broken people. Yes. <laughs> I think maybe that's the, the answer and there's a lot of nuance and depth. We can mm -hmm. certainly get into that. So you felt this call to ministry. You're, you started this journey. It sounds like you kind of had a parallel practical experience along with your education. So I'd still like to ask that question about the big hit of reality mm -hmm. when you went into ministry, because sometimes you get people, they're just exclusively in school and then they just jump into ministry and then they just like hit the wall of reality. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of that was mitigated, but I'd love to hear a little bit about you getting your footing uh, coming yeah. into ministry. Yeah. My, my first pastoral ministry was a youth and music pastor at a small little Baptist church. And the big hit, uh, mainly in churches, this happened at both of my internships and, and a lot of the churches I've been in, it was church discipline issues. Mm -hmm. uh, coming in, being on, on the board or, or being um, in pastoral leadership and having to deal with church discipline. Mm -hmm. um, two times it actually splitting the church. Mm -hmm. And so here you are, a young minister, bam, church discipline issues. I mean, big. We're talking... Uh, another youth pastor having relations with his students okay. or embezzlement yeah. of money. We're not it's talking like First Corinthians level issues yes. of church discipline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and seeing how mainly not to handle it, mm. seeing how sometimes churches try and cover it up, mm. continue the status quo, and and being challenged then in my calling. Right here, I am called to a church and there's this drama going on. Mm. You know, it'd be easy to check out, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, forget this. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But instead being challenged to stand up and say, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Let us expose it. Go the, go the course of church discipline and try reconciliation. Mm. Unfortunately, both of the times that that came up, mm. reconciliation was not wanted by either parties. Mm. So young minister in the midst of two parties at war is difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, the second main thing is in school, we're, I only had like a two-week section of systematic theology in which you're taught about spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. 
And from the Pentecostal side, I got the everything of spiritual warfare. And from the uh, conservative Baptist, well, there, yes, there is spiritual warfare, but we rarely see it. Mm-hmm. And the reality lies somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. So we did this thing called a prayer booth in Southern California, and I've carried it with me kind of wherever I've went. You pit pitch up one of those pop-up tents. It's a sign that just says, free prayer, just ask. You put it on the the busy street near the church, and people will come to ask for prayer from all different walks of life. And in that process, you get the cults that will come to pick a fight. And then you will get those that are actually spiritually, physically troubled, Mm. that definitely need the help. Mm. And in the 12 years of doing that, I can't tell you how many stories we've had of people coming back six, nine months, 12 months, even sometimes two years later and saying, you remember you prayed for me? Well, God answered your prayer in, and then explaining how God had worked in their lives. And going to the spiritual warfare aspect, I wasn't really trained about spiritual Mm -hmm. warfare. And there's a gentleman that had come up, we were praying for a list of people, and he comes up and says, I have a jinn in me. Uh, he's Muslim man, and a jinn is a demon. Mm-hmm. And going, well, is it something that, that you are harboring, that you like, or do you want it out of you? And he says, no, no, I want, I want to keep it. It gives me power. And I say, okay, go away. What was amazing, we had, I had two ladies with me at the prayer booth that day, and they both uh, spoke Spanish. They were able to help because muy uh, poquito habla español. And immediately as this guy comes up, the two of them are scared and they just start praying. Hmm. Even as, as before this guy says a word, that was uh, hitting the wall of, I wasn't quite trained for this. I'm not afraid. He who's in me is greater than he who's in the world. Mm-hmm. But what do I say? What do I do? How do I handle this situation? Mm-hmm. And so those were the two big hitting the wall, Mm -hmm. uh, church discipline issues and real Mm -hmm. spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. that it's talked about, Mm -hmm. but when the rubber meets the road, how are you going to handle that? Yeah. And there's like whole episodes that could be done on church discipline issues and spiritual warfare issues for whatever walk of life. I'd like to just quickly touch back though on the church discipline stuff just Mm -hmm. briefly because there's... That's been coming up a lot, especially with contentious issues where organizations and denominations are covering up issues. And even in culturally, church discipline isn't a thing. I know I've been helping some people right now work through an issue where things have been covered up in their church. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've, they, they're they either trying to stay to change things or they've made the decision to leave because there's no desire to change the system and structure. So they're just willing to cover up an issue yes. for the sake of the church mm-hmm. instead of exposing it. To the light of the world and allowing you know the truth to come out yeah so i'd love for you just to touch on that especially coming from the position at that time you were a young unexperienced minister and so just maybe uh elaborate a little bit on the importance of that and maybe just some some keys for people to think about you know when there's something that needs to be brought out brought out yeah for me it was really this passion of we understand the truth there was evidence by multiple sources, you know, mm-hmm. you don't take an accusation against an elder by more, by no less than two or three witnesses, mm-hmm. right? Well, we had dozens of witnesses, mm-hmm. and so we took this uh, to the board, and I said, "This 
this has to be taken care of. This is an, an issue that affects the, the livelihood of the church, the reputation in the community, the spiritual welfare of, of all those involved. Mm-hmm. And in the case with the youth pastor that was having relations, what they did is they suspended him for three days, did an investigation, quote unquote, air quotes here, and then brought him back and just swept everything under the rug. I said, no, that's not going to happen. No, we had signed affidavits from parents who had heard from their children or had uh, barged in on seeing this activity. We're not just going to sweep it under the rug. And so in several meetings that went on is saying, we have the evidence. We don't want to bring this to court. We, we need to settle this here and now. There needs to be church discipline, and there needs to be a process of restoration once the discipline process has gone mm-hmm. through. Uh, they ended up not going with any of it. And so then my wife and I, n- newly married, one year in, have to make the decision. Do we stay in a church where there's unrepentant sin in, mm-hmm. in the eldership that is publicly known and now many people are leaving the church, ended up causing a church split. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, even as a new minister, I don't care what this does uh, to, quote unquote, my reputation. I'd rather stand for what scripture says rather mm-hmm. than the politics and the drama. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this dealt with many people that were, quote unquote, influential in the community. So there's that pressure of, you know, don't make waves, don't make waves. Yeah. No, no, I, I can't not make waves yeah. with this. Uh, with the second situation, um, actually just most recently um, in my previous ministry in South Dakota, the one party wanted reconciliation and really cared for the offending party. Mm-hmm. The offending party did not. Mm-hmm. Once they had actually gotten out of jail for their offenses, not wanted to pursue reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that was due to the fact that there was still unrepentant sin that was known in the community. And that basically ruined the church. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the community knew basically 40 years of offenses towards people in the community was not going to go away overnight. Mm-hmm. And with one party wanting to reconcile and to do go- the godly thing, yes, it was going to hurt. Yeah. Yes, there was going to be pain. Yes, there was going to be tears. But they understood that this is the course that we need mm-hmm. to go through. But when the other party doesn't want to go through that, it's tough. Yeah. You want to see people reconciled. Mm-hmm. Much like I can imagine the Lord when he was here on earth multiple times, it says that he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. Mm-hmm. The people in, in whom he is coming on his mission, he wants to restore them to relationship with God. And yet, what is it many times they do? Yeah, They walk away. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's definitely a realization uh, the church has to have, too, that, yes, we need to deal with things in-house. But then when there's a certain level of breach legality-wise, you know, the role of church discipline and church government ends and the reality of law enforcement begins. Um, And so often churches just say, oh, well, we deal with it in-house. No, but when you have laws broken— you can't just deal with that in-house because Mm -hmm. now, now we're responsible to the laws that were commanded to follow in scripture of the governing authority. Yes. And so, you know, churches need to understand, pastors should understand that when there's those legal breaches, it's not just 
your legal duty, but it's actually your gospel duty to turn that over then to the civil magistrate, to the yes. civil authority. Because, you know, if you have somebody doing something horribly illegal, you can't just, you know, have them on leave for three days, do a little investigation and say, okay, that's it. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's the reality of consequences. Um, and in a lot of cases that can be disqualifying for eldership. Correct. Um, I, and when we look at uh, Romans 13 and other passages, it says that the the governing authorities do not carry the sword for no reason, mm-hmm. that it's been delegated to them by God to hold the sword, to judge evil, mm-hmm. to punish the evildoers, mm-hmm. including the, in the church, <laughs> in the, church yeah. the, the temporal consequences for your sin. Your mm-hmm. eternal consequences may be paid for, but the temporal consequences mm-hmm. of your sin mm-hmm. still have to be dealt yeah. with. And that's what happened in the case mm. in which we're talking about. There was, yeah. you know, IRS inve- or not, um, FBI investigation, yeah. as well as a local jurisdiction investigation yeah. as as to the crimes. Yeah. So, but if the church is unwilling to pursue that, mm. then a lot of times the legal doesn't get taken care of. Yeah. They sweep it under the rug. And as we're seeing the Southern Baptist Convention, the Roman mm. Catholic Church, covering up for decades of sin and reaping the rewards. Yeah. And it's actually a stain on the name of the gospel on yes. God's perfect bride. Yes. And, uh, you know, we, we want to be more concerned for, for the bride, not just the people, how people see our four walls in our community. And we yes. should be concerned with the truth. Well, that was a rabbit trail, but I think it was an important one because mm-hmm. it's something that's really, you know, coming up and, um, I think the church needs to be more bold in confronting sin in the camp. Yes. Um, so I'd love to hear now just kind of about your journey to now. Uh, mm. What brought you here then to Michigan, uh, Mount Pleasant? You know, Ma- there is a Mount Pleasant, Michigan on the other side of the state, but this is Mount Pleasant Bible Church in Goodles, Michigan. So mm-hmm. we're here in the eastern part. So I'd love to hear kind of a quick story of what brought you here. What well, brought me here? Uh, ministered in Southern California um, up until 2017. And my wife and I had wanted to get out of Southern California since uh, we got married, and just God didn't open the doors. Hey, you're you're in Southern California. That's where I have you. And then God opened up the doors to go to South Dakota, and we we were we shook the dust off our feet, and we 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 ran hmm. to South Dakota, and it was a, a huge blessing. Loved the we'd wanted to get out of the city. We were just 17 miles south of L.A. in, in the the craziest traffic and hustle and bustle of life mm-hmm. and going to South Dakota where it's much like here, a lot more relaxed, a lot mm-hmm. more slowed down. Unless you go an hour South and you're in Detroit. Detroit yeah. <laughs> different story. It's much like LA. Different animal, yeah, yeah. Different animal. But um, obviously because of the issues in South Dakota, that there was an unwillingness to, to reconcile. And, and the, as you talk about the negative besmirching of the church as a whole mm-hmm. and as well as that local congregation um, I got to the point in in prayer and the discussion with other pastors and with uh, denominational leaders that it was it was time to move on because it's only something God can fix yeah. it's not something Chris could mm-hmm. fix although you know as a guy we like to fix things right oh yeah you give us a task, something we'll hard, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go fix it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Chris couldn't fix this. And so in the process of looking at where God would have us next, lo and behold, Mount Pleasant Bible pops up and 
Well, you know, I've never been to Michigan. Let's try it out. And in the process of about six months, uh, we're, we're out here now. Well, amen. We were certainly excited. I know Mount Pleasant had been looking for a while and it had a couple people come through and mm-hmm. uh, was excited to meet you the first time at our pastor's prayer meeting mm-hmm. and for you and your uh, family to be here. So, so you're here now, uh, so you've had, how many years have you been in the pastorate then overall? About 22 years? 22 saying? years, yeah. So in that 22 years of pastoral experience, looking back, what would you tell a younger self? Mm-hmm. Like what would your, that greatest lesson be that you would tell a younger self? Um, it mainly comes down to three phrases. Mm-hmm. The first one is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. As, as a young pastor, you think you know everything especially when you're in seminary, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the head gets a little big and you need somebody to come along and with a tack and, and poke it. Um, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so many times I have been proven wrong in either my assumptions or my training mm-hmm. and, and being willing to go, okay, I was wrong. Just plain, just setting it out there. Yeah. And I have been wrong in the past and being open with the congregation. You know what? You know, I used to say this, but after further reflection and study, this is where I'm at. Hmm. Uh, the second thing was, was always to be challenging traditions. Um, so many traditions in the church, what I call golden calves, bog down the church. Hmm. And as a younger pastor, you see them, hmm. but they're difficult to change because they're so embedded. Uh, some of the traditions, like, you know, what color the carpet is and the pews versus chairs and those type of discussions can be church splitting. Mm -hmm. And yet sometimes um, we need to talk to people and say, it's okay that the the color of the carpet wasn't your particular shade of gray. Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of things, that doesn't, it's a means to an end. Mm Mm-hmm. We, we carpet the floor so that we're not cold on, mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and not a whole lot of noise. It's not going to make the difference of, of whether someone comes in the door or not. Mm-hmm. You need to be focused on getting those people yeah. in the door. And the last one is, is in my process, as we were talking earlier, my theology has changed in some ways drastically, in some ways not drastically, mm-hmm. from the time of, of being an inexperienced 18-year-old youth pastor mm-hmm. to now, you know, turning 40 in a couple of weeks and realizing that a lot of the things that I protested the most, some of the things in which I spoke loudly against, specifically Calvinism, um, I'm not at that place that I was when I was mm-hmm. 18. I'm, in fact, now on the other side. Mm-hmm. And there's a line from Hamlet that constantly I was reminded of the lady doth protest too much methinks. And so uh, there was a lot of protesting as a, as a young pastor and and going back and going, you don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of traditions that you you inherit from Mm -hmm. denomination or from a church. And that, yes, you might say, Oh yes, the scripture alone is my guide. And yet you don't realize those Mm -hmm. traditions that are in the back of your mind, preventing you from thinking about, Mm -hmm. Um, certain doctrines because you just won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. And so really coming in, that's something I've been seeing, especially over the last two years in my personal walk outside of anything dealing with Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ ascended, everything else should be held with loose hands. There's outside of that core gospel message. You know, my dad and I say, uh, my dad often says to me, 
pretty much everything else is on the table, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, when you, you just learn to figure out that a lot of the stuff we hold so dear isn't as important as we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of those secondary theological issues outside of the core things that make us Orthodox Christians of mm-hmm. Jesus is God and, and what the gospel message is, every, all those other secondary and tertiary things that aren't, aren't even really worth dividing over most of the time, you mm-hmm. know, they're not as important as we thought they were. As we thought they were. One lesson I did learn that was actually positive in, in my ministry experience when I did an internship with a college group, I noticed when I stepped back, it was growing, it was thriving mm-hmm. because we were busy about the gospel, busy about serving. And the stuff that we're talking about disappeared, mm-hmm. our arguing about doctrine and that kind of thing. Because we were so busy about the father's business, mm-hmm. we didn't have time to argue. That was a huge marker for me of health in a church, right? If we are so busy doing what we've been called to do, those issues that we're talking about are are behind us. Mm-hmm. We're not even concerned yeah. about them. So if those issues are in front of us, you have to ask, number one, where are we going? Number two, what are we doing? Yeah. A church squabbling about theological issues is a church with too much time on their hands, maybe. Exactly. That's something to think about, something to think about. So <laughs> moving forward then from Chris Stewart's perspective here, 2022, what do you see as a major challenge for pastors in the coming years? Mm-hmm. Well, this is something that we've talked about a little bit in the prayer group on mm-hmm. Thursday mornings. <clears throat> and I've really thought about this and looking at one of my areas of study is early church history. Mm -hmm. And in looking at the church's response post-persecution, so in 311, the peace of the church comes. Mm -hmm. The Christian church is now no longer an illegal church. It's actually sponsored by the state. So now the Christians that are gathered together are now going, well, what do we do with those Christians that were among us that ratted us out? When, when the soldiers came and they told them where we were going to be meeting in the basement or in the attic, what do we do now that they want to come and, and to be a part of this church? What do we do with those that gave up of their, their Bibles to the mm-hmm. soldiers for, for peace? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we do about those in those times? It, you had to receive a paper called Lebelus, mm-hmm. which was a thing in which once a year you had to go to the temple of Caesar and grab a pinch of incense and say, Kaiser Kurias, Caesar is Lord. Mm-hmm. In good conscience, Christians can't say that. They need to say, Yesu Kurias, Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And yet there were Christians amongst them that had the Lebelus. They had that piece of paper and they had gotten it by compromising. Or they had gotten it illegally, you know, under the table, had had bribed someone to get obtain a Lebelus for them. In the same way the early church had those issues about reconciling these Christians, I think that as the persecution that we see in the church, especially just north of us Mm -hmm. in Canada, comes down south our way, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do with the same types of people, Mm -hmm. those that compromise, those that rat out their their brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. We need to think about this now before it happens, because it took really about 60 years for the church to kind of mm. navigate its way around doing this. And, and and the response was different at different churches. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, the response to post-persecution. 
And then also then another lesson from the early church. I think, in my opinion, we're seeing more ravenous wolves mm-hmm. coming from among us. Uh, tearing people away by false doctrine, mm-hmm. um, leading people into other religions, uh, false religions. And and it's slyer than it used to be. It's under the, the label of Christianity, but when you really dig down, you see heresies that came mm-hmm. in the early centuries of the church popping up, and now it's on national TV. This, it's brand name Christianity, but when you really dig down, mm-hmm. it's a different gospel. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the majority of the church is discerning enough to see that not all of Christian radio, Christian TV, Christian magazines mm-hmm. are safe mm-hmm. places to get your theology. Yeah. I was talking with a, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine out in uh, in central New York, and we were he was telling, talking to me about how the church has gotten so good at communicating but we just about have nothing to say, nothing of value. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that deception that we read in scripture, it's going to be so close to the truth. But then when you look under the surface, then you start seeing like Gnosticism everywhere. Yes. Um, you know, there's a very popular Bible translation where the guy has admitted he's had visions and gone to heaven and received extra books of the Bible and, and everything imparted to him by the Holy Spirit to especially translate the Bible well, that's heresy. <laughs> okay, Joseph Smith. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, you know, so we got to be so you know discerning and careful. Not everything that has the Christian label um, is true. Yes, and I, I, I think you're spot on with that as a challenge for upcoming pastors um, to really keep their eyes out uh, for the sake of themselves and their congregation because. Um, that's where it comes to that cultural compromise. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, being one, you know, do you declare there's no other name under heaven but Augustus or Jesus? Yes. I was just preaching on that uh this morning myself. So definitely those compromises of culture as Christians, and then how do we reconcile that certainly mm. question. Well, final thing I want to touch on, there's a Charles Spurgeon quote that I'm gonna use in every single episode, no matter what anybody says where he says, live in the Bible, but read many good books. And so obviously the Bible is something that we're transformed by and and made different from who we were, but we want to read other good books. And so what's been one of those books that's been influential or impactful in your own life? Well, there's quite a few, but the one that really sticks out is in growing up uh, in Pentecostal and Baptist churches, I, I was taught from a very young age uh, Calvinism and Reformed theology is the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was guarded against mm-hmm. looking into that. And then when I really started to listen to Dr. James White mm-hmm. um, and his podcast and that, then he talked about a book that he'd written called The Potter's Freedom. That tipped the uh, me sitting on the fence between what I would call your your traditional mainline Baptist theology, um, what we would call TP Baptist, total total depravity and perseverance of the saints, and the other everything else is kind of fuzzy, to what I would call uh, a full, if you want to call it five point Calvinism, was the Potter's freedom. Um, uh, mainly, the difference being less of Chris and more of God in the role of of salvation. And uh, I know it is a, it's basically a response to Norman Geisler's book, mm-hmm. Chosen But Free. 
Um, I had read Chosen by Free as part of my my college mm-hmm. courses, and yet seeing kind of the opposite end in mm-hmm. the Potter's Freedom, uh, that has transformed my personal theology. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have a moment to to take more of a ministry perspective book, mm-hmm. yeah. is there, there's a book by uh, Tom Rainier called, I'm forgetting the full title, but reaching un, it's Reaching Unchurched People. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of all these different surveys about de-churched people, people who had been to church and are now de-churched, and people who have just plain left the church, and about what it is they're looking for in a church. And you would be surprised that that one of the top things that people that are de-churched and unchurched are looking for is doctrine. Is one of those big things. Everybody thinks it's the colors of the wall and what kind of seats you have and and whether the pastor's wearing skinny jeans and, and got a man bun, mm-hmm. that, that's not even on the list. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very eye-opening going into church planning ministry and going, all right, if this is what people are really wanting, that perfectly aligns with what scripture says that we need to do. So let's do it. Yeah. Well, that is that is awesome. Definitely some some books to check out. Uh, definitely to a look at. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, love talking to you, hearing your story, some of your insights and so- uh, thoughts. So thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of the Pastors Call podcast. Our hope, our goal, our mission, and our vision is to reach out and encourage those who are interested in pastoral ministry or are already in pastoral ministry and and just want to hear the encouraging stories and, and lessons from other pastors in, in the field uh, by hearing about those who have gone before. So just want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, you can find our podcast on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere else you may be listening right now. Please leave us a review, uh, share us with your friends and family so other people can be encouraged as well. Thank you so much and God bless.